Food and Beverage Magazine Live, bringing food and beverage to life with your hosts, James Beard Award winner Jennifer English and Food and Beverage Magazine publisher Michael Politz. Featuring leaders in the hospitality, branded food and beverage, and CPG industries, many of whom are Jennifer and Michael's friends in the business. For an informal and informative conversation where friends in the business share the latest intel, ideas, and best practices. Live, juicy inside scoop from the tastemakers, newsmakers, bread bakers, drink shakers, spoon lickers, clam diggers, farms, foodies, and friends of the food and beverage magazine world. Here are your hosts, Jennifer English and Michael Politz. Well, hello, everybody. It's just me and you. <laughs> no, it isn't. We get a lot of friends with us. How are you? You know, we have friends in the business. Yes, we do, actually. I know you like so, so we are covering a lot of an interesting ground today because... Allegedly, and I need to get confirmation of this, the restaurants are, and I don't even know how to state these things accurately because it changes so fast and so frequently, but for all our friends in the business, we need to know. I heard that the uh, California restaurants were allowed to open today. The question is, if you're a California restaurateur, do you open? Are you going to open? We're going to ask questions across the country. Are you, are you being allowed to open? Do you want to open? Is it too soon to open? Uh, I think we're all just sort of wondering. And you'd think that the that the people that make all the rules to protect us would reach out to the experts in the business. See, Michael, I think like what we do here, where we reach out to our friends in the business to mm -hmm. like educate us, like tell us what we need to know so that I have like the inside scoop from the people who know, and then I can feel like, okay. You know, I, I read I read something today that um, our friend Danny Meyer said that it's irresponsible to open your restaurant today. I mean, you read no that? offense if he says that. I'm then listening. he says it. No, I'm just saying what I read and what I heard. But I understand that people need to make income. People need to work. People need to um, have commerce moving, right? The movement of commerce. And it's scary, you know? Like, look, it's scary. Nobody wants to be sick. And I don't even know how sick you get. I mean... Hopefully we I don't won't want to find out. out, and I don't want you finding out. But the truth is that we're all trying to find out as much as we can, so that we don't inadvertently or mistakenly walk into something. I have to ask you the tough question, Michael. Would you feel comfortable going out to eat today? I don't even feel comfortable walking into Seven Eleven. How about that? I went in there this morning, and they had their masks under their chins. Everyone that works there. And I'm thinking to myself, this is her. I can't. I just feel awful that I got my drink and then I went to the counter. And they, they did have a piece of plexiglass over the front. So that lady couldn't spit on you. Right. But you still had to poke all your numbers in, join the club, put your numbers in. There was no way of doing it without touching something. Right. Yes. Yeah, take four cents a gallon, but lose your life. They had a big um, sanitizing gush. When, I'm going to say gush because I, I hit that button. That stuff splattered <laughs> that. like a like a bug on a windshield all over my hands. I went out my arm. I was like, more please. I felt like I was bathing in it. And I'm like, I'm out of here. I just kept going. But it was very uh, so, scary. To open, so I'm going to pretend I'm a thespian. To mm. open or not to open, right? To gush or not to gush? That's to go crazy, out dude. or not to go out? How do you know what to do? To mask or not mask? What made you want to be a thespian just now? 
John Lovitz? It sounded, it sounded um, Shakespearean to me. I'm about to send John the link and have him do the thespian for us. So, so here's the thing. I'm going to, every day we have our friends in the business join us because they know better than we do. They're on the ground. They're the ones uh, making it happen in every industry, in yes. every part of our industry. And, and there are literally meetings taking place around the country right now in almost every jurisdiction trying to determine, is it safe to open? And it's a mildly worrisome consideration that all over the planet, everybody is thinking about this topic. And with all these millions, billions of brains focused on the subject of safety and opening and commerce and food and conviviality and the rest of it, that we don't have any single best practice yet. And so what we have to do is say, well, okay, I'm not going to worry about everybody else. I'm just going to worry about us for right now. Jennifer, would would they, if it wasn't a financial decision, would they even want to open? No. No. They want to be be safe. So let's open. I mean, I get it. You know what? I I am not a restaurateur, so I have no business answering that question. And I'm sorry I was so quick to answer. Because the reality is for restaurateurs, let's just be honest. Nobody's in this business to get rich. A few do, but most do it because they love it. Most have been in it a long time. Family operators, and we're going to talk to one of those people today, uh, are in it because it's who they are and it's how they participate in the community that they live in. And, And I have to say this. To really get the sense about what's going on, you reach out to your friends in the business the White House had their task force around the table the other day. Restaurateurs were invited. And I'm not sure we got anywhere close to an answer. Of course we didn't. They got, they had, everyone around that table was a yes guy. Yes, yes. I don't think anything was being challenged. Who was going to be, you're going to sit there. These guys are so overwhelmed. I mean, yeah, you know, they have their insecurities. They do well. Some of, I don't know who all who they all were. You, you and Elizabeth knew all that. But, you know, believe me, they were so happy to be there. So happy to be there that nobody was going to ask a challenging, tough question. Well, you know what? I have courageous friends who've been in this business a long time, and they're joining us today. And we're going to talk to some old friends who are on the other coast, and they're going to help us understand where we are with all of this. On today's show, a little later on, we're going to talk to the International Association of Culinary Professionals, Best Radio Show Nominees, David Ransom and Melanie Young from The Connected Table. They're going to be calling in from their studios in upstate New York from Camp David, no less. But first, we're going to turn to an extraordinary woman who I have long respected and admired. Suzanne Alafonte was the first, and I'm sad to say, only president of the Arizona Restaurant Association. And she has, through her activism in action, living her actual restaurant truth, welcoming guests and in her leadership, side by side with her sons and their families in a business called Mama Luisa's that has been around for over 50 years. When you have cravings for places that have been part of your life, and you could make spaghetti at home, but it doesn't taste the same as the incredible homemade pastas that they make at Mama Luisa's, Right. There are things you crave. There are things you want, including connection to the people that bring the place to life. 
And that in and of itself would be a lifetime of connection and success and achievement. But in this particular time, in this moment, in this time and place, restaurateurs, independent restaurateurs, who allegedly were represented by the Independent Restaurant Coalition at the White House the other day, and who are represented in meeting halls all over the country as board of supervisors and aldermen and city councils and mayor and councils and senates and legislatures and state representatives are all grappling with what to do and what's the right thing to do. We turn to our friends in the business as they do to ask the hard questions, to say, what do we need to know before we make our decisions? And just this week, on the same day in Washington, D.C., that they were asking those hard questions, those hard questions were being asked in Arizona. And Chef Michael Elefante and his remarkable mother, Suzanne Elefante, who now joins us, were there. And want to ask a challenging question? They threw it down, and they did so with respect and collegiality and kindness and strength. And for that, we are enormously grateful to them. And we're honored to welcome the past president of the Arizona Restaurant Association, Susanna Lafonte from Mama Luisa's, to the table today to join us to talk about how do you set them straight when they're at the top of the food chain in terms of lawmaking and rules and regulations. And of course, the question has to be started with to mask or not to mask, to open or not to open. Suzanne, welcome. Welcome, Suzanne. Well, our answer is for us, we open. But. Oops, we lost Suzanne. Oh, 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 there we go. We're having a little bit of a technical difficulty, but let's bring Suzanne he's, back. He's buffering. She's buffer as, as Suzanne buffers. Why don't you give Thank us you. a little background on what happened? Because oh, Here we go. Hello, Suzanne. So to mask Hi. or not to mask, to open or not to open. Suzanne oh, Alamante, welcome back. Well, we, for us, decided to open. So, but we have friends that haven't opened yet. Um, I, years ago, my, well, my husband's passed away 22 years ago. And years ago, he taught a class of high school students and they asked him, what do you do if you lose business? And he said, well, it'll be my wife and myself running the business. And right after the closing happened, it was my son and I, and I never thought that would be where we would be. So Mike was in the kitchen and I was out front as business picked up. We're lucky we've been here a long time. The restaurant's been here since 1956. My family's had it since 1973. And I've been here since 73. So I've been here almost 50 years. Wow. So, you know, we kind of knew that we had to right away um, keep ourselves from going into debt. The most important thing was to be able to pay our main bills and not go in debt. Because in Tucson, the one thing you don't want to do is go into the summer being in bad shape. Yeah. And, and, so, and you know, that's why we did it. People need to understand, Suzanne. The relationship between the lawmakers and the restaurateurs. And as past president of the Restaurant Association, you really do represent the kinds of organizations in every state and the kinds of 
legislative relationship that exists. What have you been hearing and experiencing about how important the communication between legislators and restaurant operators are at this moment? It's very important. And it's important, as you said earlier, to be respectful, but to let them know that it's not okay to do these things. And one of the things I tried to explain to them, so we've had a salad bar since 1993. That's gone. Now you've taken away over 50% of our seating. That's gone. And we understand that. But then I have an empty restaurant. I'm open for people to dine. And you tell me that I can only have someone with a reservation or call ahead seating come in when I have empty tables, that's not acceptable. And that's really one of the reasons that everyone, you know, kind of got up in arms because we want everybody to be healthy. Right. You know, I'm older, my children worry about me and I try, I, I try to do common sense things and and that's what we look at. So, okay, we're going to go along with, we understand we have to be staggered seating. We understand salad bars are not healthy anymore, but also you cannot put us in a rowboat and dig and drill holes into it and make us sink. We all, we all here, we're all in this together, but we're not in it together if we're trying to make it too difficult for restaurants to stay in business. Suzanne, would you talk about how the meeting that took place with the Pima County Board of Supervisors earlier this week uh, came about uh, and how it was the case that several restaurateurs were able to stand up and, and, and make, um, I can only call it testimony? Well, you know, they passed... Um an ordinance that was more difficult than the governor's. And so the governor's was reasonable, but then when you start adding all different kinds of things, and one of the, the issues that the restaurant association uh, dealt with was you can say in your, when you're at a public hearing or you're talking, well, this is what we mean. But if push comes to shove and you got to go to court, what's really written? Right. So that's one of the reasons the Restaurant Association was adamant about some of the changes they felt needed to be made. Can you talk? And it, it went well. There were a lot of people. Yeah. So, so take us there. Uh, how often do restaurateurs get a chance or even have the time to go before a legislative body and talk about what's needed. How, how, how frequently does that communication take place? Probably not as, as frequently as it should. Like anything, unless it's an issue affecting you, people don't say anything. They let it go. So the good thing, I, my family's been active in the restaurant association for almost 50 years. And so we've always been there fighting the battles and things have been kind of quiet for a while, but I was really happy to see all of the young restaurateurs mm -hmm. that came to this meeting and spoke out at the call to the audience. That was wonderful to see. Paint a picture for the audience who was not there. What happened 
at this particular meeting during this time of crisis? Well, um, they had chairs sitting in the lobby for the people, the overflow that weren't going to be able to go inside because it was staggered seating. But in the lobby, one of the restaurateurs, when they spoke, pointed out that the seats were not six feet apart. They were only about four feet apart. Um, then inside, when, when everyone was skiing, one of the young men said, so three of the supervisors had masks on, two didn't. Um, and when he got up to speak, which was early in the call to the audience, he said, I've counted 26 times that you've touched your mask. Um, and then when my son Michael got up, he pointed out that the microphone and the table was not being sanitized after each use. So, and then there were people there that worked there that didn't have masks on. We have to have masks on. We have to continually and, wipe and everything down. And the sanitizing down. of the table is an issue because the, the rules are that you have to sanitize the tables between guests. And you're a responsible operator. You do that anyway. Right, exactly. I mean, when this whole thing started, before there was any guidance from anybody, we had we took all the condiments and off the off the table. We were sanitizing them between each use. We made sure that no one was refilling the same glass that some drank out of. So, restaurateurs are smart people. They work really hard, and they understand that if their guests get sick, it's not going to be good for them. Right. So right away, all the restaurants started doing things that are common sense things to make it safe for everybody. As somebody who's part of the um, national level of restaurant association presidents, you were one of obviously 50 uh, restaurant association presidents. And if you looked at the big picture of who is responsible for the operation of food service in every state, who should be making these rules and these laws? Who is best situated to be dealing with this? Um, Looks like we're having some. You know, I, I think we, so, but certain parts of the country have far more serious problems right. than we have. I, I have a son in San Francisco that's been in quarantine with his wife since early March. I have a daughter in Chicago that goes to work four times a week at a big hotel there. Yeah. And I have cousins that live in New York, and they're all very, very careful. We're here. We don't have as many um, issues. So I, I think common sense. We don't want to scare people. We got to live our lives. I mean. Met, the mental health of some people is suffering because of this. So we have to look and we have to say what is reasonable for our part of the, the country and even our city. Yeah. Because some cities are, are more prone in the same state than others. Listen, before you've been very generous with your time. I know you've got a really robust thriving business at the moment. People have been missing your legendary world famous housemade, handmade pastas and pasta sauces. 
Which, by the way, humor me. Did you have any spaghetti and meatballs there for us today? Because I wanted to share that with everybody. Yeah. Oh, oh. We'll that. We'll fix it. Why is Jennifer not in the stream? That's well, amazing. I don't know what's going on. Everything get bloop. Boop. We blipped. We blipped. We lost her right when she was about to show you these insatiable spaghetti meatballs Can that I, I just you, looked at. Those are irresistible meatballs. Really? Somebody that's that thoughtful and careful about making their pasta, sauces, and meatballs can be trusted to take care of your kids and your customers. It's true. I'm telling you. It is. And I want to let me let me say this. As uh, as a uh, director emeritus from the Nevada Restaurant Association, for all the tenure that I put in there, they make you a uh, board on the board of directors. They make you emeritus, and you get a little plaque, and you're fabulous for everybody. But you never get invited to anything anymore. But I did notice that now the coming ups are the young chefs and the young restaurant owners. I don't know how involved they're getting in the associations, but they they really there's a caring there that that's different from the guys that we went that we were in the association with. Well, we came together. up. With. Well, yeah, but I'm not talking about the Rick Moonins and those guys. I'm just talking about the pizza pie shop owners and the different guys like that. Um, the young guys up there now, they, they're they they're pushing. They're pushing hard. I don't know whether they're part of this association because I'm not a part of it really anymore. Right. You know, I'm trying to get my tenure. Michael, you wrote the book, The Food and Beverage Magazine Guide to Restaurant Success. And one of the things that your book does not do is talk about how really hard this business is. Yes, it does. That's the first chapter. Because I make people think if they want to really be involved in this business before they go in. And I and by the way, I would prefer them to say, oh my God, I've got this book. I read this chapter. This is so hard. I can't go into this business. Because I would rather them do that than fail, right? I don't want them to fail. That's what I'm so I'd so I'd rather them say, I can't do it. It's easier. They won't lose their money. Yeah. By the way, the book available at Barnes and Noble and Amazon.com. Thanks, Suzanne, for taking that, by the way. Look at the face. Look at the smile. Suzanne, where are those meatballs? Let's go. Let's see those meatballs. We're talking about these fabulous spaghetti and meatballs. They're can irresistible. Can I can I tell you a joke about yes. what you just said? You know, there's a joke in the restaurant business. Do you know how to become a millionaire? No. Start no. out as a multimillionaire. <laughs> right right and it it's the truth so let's see if i can show you that can you see that look oh. at this let me go on, show it? On look at that so that's no, gonna be my pasta. lunch I, i'm gonna tell you if somebody can make homemade every pasta, day homemade pasta homemade meatballs for 50 years and have them be irresistibly delicious for 50 years i trust them i do i think it's important that we look to our restaurants thanks so much I'll tell you, we said this yesterday suzanne restaurants going to a restaurant where you're a regular it's not like going to the safeway or going to the costco or going to target there's no emotional connection the same way there is with the restaurant family that welcomes you as a regular. Will you talk just one last uh, bit uh, on this topic? You've been around in this business for a long time and you've got regulars. 
I've watched personally as you welcome guests by name. People love your place. They love your meatballs and they love you and your family. That's what we miss when we don't go out. That's one of the things we miss when we ask the question to open or not to open. But we have to ask with the responsible mindset of we have relationships with these people. Will you talk a little bit about being a place that has regulars and how important that is? I missed a little bit. I'm having a little static. Sorry, Suzanne. Can you talk about how important it is to have regulars and what it means to a restaurant like yours where you can welcome your guests by name and you've been there for a very long time, for over 50 years, and what it really means? Oh, it, and, that, and that's important. And people like that. Um, it's important that and you don't see it a lot anymore. We, I still have guests that have since 1950s. Uh, and, and what we see are our guests come in, maybe they're dating, uh, they get married, they have children. Then the children become too cool to come in with mom and dad. And then they go away for a while. And then they find that special person and then they're back together. And then now they're having kids. And you know, it's a wonderful thing to see how the families progress. They kind of go apart for a little bit, then they come back and, and they're all coming in together. So it, that makes it very special for us. Before we let you go, Suzanne, before we let you go, what advice do you have for independent restaurant operators like yourself in cities across the country that are tuned in about becoming active in relationship and communication with governance? I can imagine restaurateurs saying, I'm too busy. I, I, I can imagine there's too much going on. I, I kind of miss. What advice do you have? And about how important it is for any local restaurant to get involved and to communicate with governance. So, so important because they affect your life. They affect your family's life. They affect your children's life. And so to sit idly by and let communities just do whatever they want, even if they're well-intentioned, what may be good for a big box down the street is not necessarily good for a little mom and pop right. that has to struggle every day to stay in business. And that's what's great about independence. They're used to struggling. They struggle every day. Yep. And they find a new way around development. Suzanne Elefante, Mama Luisa's restaurant. So stay, stay involved. Thank you so much. Thank you, Suzanne. Thank, Thank you much. so much. All right. What so, a, what a nice, nice person. She's amazing. And she gives and gives and gives and participates and leads and demonstrates how leadership in action makes a difference for everybody. And if anything, I want to come out of this it's that every operator, at every level, no matter how small, has got to have their voice heard. You know, as, as citizens, you get to vote, mm -hmm. and the elections are the time to make your voice heard. But as operators, your restaurant doesn't get to vote 
in an election, but you do get to reach out and speak to the mayor, the council, the aldermen, the supervisors, the county, the state legislature, the state senate, the congress, the senate, the president. You can reach out to everybody to be heard. You have to actively participate. And be so you're saying use your voice. Use your voice, but do it as carefully as you serve your food. Because everybody that's as careful about a meatball has to be just as careful about their messaging. Be concise with your messaging. Well, no. It's, a, it's about saying, I want you to hear what my message is. I know how right. to do this. And maybe you don't know that this is what goes into making a successful restaurant happen. Let's talk about messaging. Messaging. And, the next, and then and the next guest that's coming up that built her career on messaging. Well, she's the best the, in the business. The best in the business, right? One of the best that ever was. Helped to invent and define the business. Wow. Perhaps one of the three people most responsible for the James Beard Awards. Absolutely. And, and, and many, many other things. She's and had, many other things. Yeah. Uh, and her name? So Melanie Young from Melanie Young Communications was a pioneer in the hospitality industry, communications industry, based in New York, but a native of the good old-fashioned American South, where her combination of sass and charm and smarts catapulted her to her own agency and success. And it is in her latest iteration that we're celebrating today as the International Association of Culinary Professionals made their nominations known for their annual awards. And the IACP awards for best radio program included the Connected Table, which our next guest hosts with her husband, David Ransom. Melanie Young is not only the pioneering host of the Connected Table, one of this year's best radio show nominees from IACP, but she's also a fantastically successful author, a best-selling author, of Fearless Fabulous You. And I know I maybe I got the, is it Fabulous Fearless You or Fearless Fabulous You? Well, there's um, Getting Things Off My Chest. Was the first book. And that one did really, really well. Third edition coming out this summer. And then Fearless Fabulous You, Lessons on Living Life on Your Terms. And so not only uh, is Melanie Young a dear friend and become a dear friend over the years, but we are both cancer survivors. And she and I will tell anybody out there that not only this moment in time of crisis, but any kind of health crisis, we recommend surviving highly and do everything we can to get through and sustain and survive and thrive. And she is not only a thriver, but she does so fearlessly and fabulously, the one and only Melanie Young, welcome. Hi guys, great to see you. I love seeing faces now, right? Moving faces. I know, <laughs> we're, we're together. Yeah. Melanie is uh, joining us from her test kitchen and studios in upstate New York. This is the Zoom room. The Zoom room. I love yeah. that. Talk about what's going on in New York and talk about what's going on in our industry. Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me. It's great to be here. Um, I have been sequestered with David in the Hudson Valley. So we are 90 minutes north of New York City. And I'm going to tell you, the last time we were in New York City, was March 13th, and I'm going back wow. in 
for the first time on March 27th. I'm a little nervous. May 27th. Uh, May 27th, yeah. I've lost track of time. It's pandemic yeah. brain. Um, and from what I understand, it's very quiet. I'm in touch with a lot of friends who are still there. Um, a lot of things are closed, but here's the good news. Things are slowly and in carefully reopening. Um, I see it up here because I went into town to do my weekly run. Things are slowly opening, but very slowly. Is New York City opening its restaurants? Not right now. I mean, from what I understand from Governor Cuomo, we 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 need to. I think we're locked out, locked out, or whatever it's called, until June fifteenth. But a lot of restaurants are doing takeout. Like Barbara Sibley has been doing an amazing job at La Palapa, um, Coat Steakhouse. Uh, I talked to um, uh, Victoria James, who's a terrific new book out, Wine Girl, and they're just hoofing it doing steak with uh, La Carabelle Champagne with my friend Rita Jamey. Hi, um, Rita Jamey. We love you. I know. So I actually been calling. I've been calling everybody who I know that's still in the city to say, how are you and what can I do to help you through my own, you know, the, the show, the social media. So like I talked to Rita this weekend because Rita's a new grandma. So all I can oh. think about is, yeah, she just had her first grandson. And I was That's like, exciting. did you get to see? Yeah. So she said, I'm, you know, she said, you know, cause we know Rita sells a lot to restaurants. So she's had to work with partnerships with retailers. She said, um, they've been awesome. Sherry Lehman has been awesome. She's doing a caviar, champagne tasting and you can get you know it's, it's pricey but okay. you can buy it and and it's with petrosian and then she's doing um steak and champagne with coat steakhouse she's doing something with adam she's all over the place i mean she, I'm, I'm telling you she's like you know just there's no grass under her feet um but a lot of people like um barbara like i said barbara is doing that um a lot of the restaurants are doing daniel blue is blue at home they've all in the wake of this had to adapt and many of them are adapting well are they making a lot of money probably not but they're making something and they're staying out there versus nothing but in the long run i don't know everybody's saying that you know i've heard dire numbers 50 percent, 40 percent not coming a lot of the mom and pops are going to be gone okay so you. this is a really important statistic to stop stop the presses this right. is the news we need to get to today because in California, our understanding is they're saying, uh, open the restaurants in California. I don't know if they're opening or not. I think people can make their own decisions. Is it too soon? There are organizations like Too Soon, Tucson. Uh, there's a real conflict for a lot of people. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I'm from the South and it's scary in the South because um, Georgia opened up. People are not. I'm, I was talking to my mother. People are not wearing masks. Yep. They're going out. The South is taking it. Sorry, love yourself, but they're taking it a little more easy, including Florida. And that does concern me. Um, that's been going on for a while. I mean, my cousins were out playing tennis. Uh, restaurants are pretty much, you know, we, we see the pictures on the news. They're, they're busy. Busy, well, not at full Melanie force, Young, but they're busier. Melanie Young from the Connected Table joins us from her studios and Zoom room in the Hudson Valley in upstate New York. You were <laughs> stating some numbers, and I just want to stop and go back and revisit that because mm -hmm. they're not just numbers of how many seats restaurants are having to take out. 
which is the same number, 50%. A lot of restaurants are being told, take out half your seats. Right. That's not the 50% that you just said. Please talk about what you're hearing, where you're hearing it from, and what, what is that number, and what will that mean to our industry? Well, I'm reading it in the usual, like, Eater, Wall Street Journal. You know, I get up, and it kind of, like, flows. And I'm, I'm getting it from the wine industry as well. So, I'm, I'm, you know, when I get up in the morning, it's like, you know, the business news, the restaurant industry news, the wine industry news coming at me. And um, then I get the New York State news. Um, and the daily Cuomo email, which is kind of nice. He does a great email every day. Um, the dire side of it is we could lose, you know, I've heard, you know, 40%, then I've heard one in five. Um, I don't know. I mean, the, here's the problem. You know, the, the Paycheck Protection Program order, PPE, from what I understand, you could it was going to be to help hire people back. But in New York City, will they come back? You know, the, the psychology of this in New York City, uh, and I understand that, like I'm scared and I'm never scared. I'm fearless, but I'm very worried about going back into New York City and I'm trying to figure out how am I going to get around? Are there going to be cabs? Well, I don't know. Um, my friend Rachel um, uh, Martin, who owns Oceana Wines, most of her business is on premise. So she's doing Instagram live and back in her winery in Virginia. She's taking a bicycle everywhere. Wow. Who's going to, I'm not going to do that. So I don't know. I think the issue is transport. Like New Yorkers are going to be very neighborhood centric. Will they get, be able to top a cab or take a subway, God forbid, down well, somewhere else? It's going to be in neighborhoods. If what you're telling us is that between 40 and 50% of restaurant independent restaurants are going to close. Well, I, I, I heard that. I don't think that's a fact. I don't, I've heard numbers from one in five, which is not 50%. So one in five is a fact. Right. But, but no one is saying that people are getting through this unscathed. So I just want to be really clear about what we're hearing. Mm -hmm. I, I'm hearing that the mom and pops are going to be very challenged because it's, you know, unless landlords give them a break and people come back, mm -hmm. they're going to have a challenge. They were already had minimal margins, Jennifer, because it's so expensive to run a restaurant in New York yeah. to run a restaurant, you know, as somebody said, I think it was I was on a I was on a um, a feed with uh, Ashley Christensen and a couple of the Larkme Winery hosted it. And someone said, you know, are the landlords going to? We're working at reduced capacity. Will the landlords work at reduced capacity? Will the utilities people get cut us a break because it's got to be a full break? Right. Otherwise, you have to have a certain amount of customers to pay the operating costs. Right. And what you can at fifty percent. So fifty percent, I think, is 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 maybe they're saying fifty percent of people not coming into the restaurants, yeah. not necessarily going out of business. I really, okay. I don't. Th I think fifty percent not coming back is at all is too high. But I've seen okay. some dire numbers on Eater. Well, and what becomes concerning is if we are going to become, you know, neighborhood centric in the denser populated areas, San Francisco, mm -hmm. New York City, downtown Boston, Chicago. And if we have to localize geographically, will that will that help smaller places survive and thrive, or will that will that starve some out? I think it's too soon to tell. I mean, you know, New York, and and this is that's the whole country, but New York is kind of a weird scenario. Yeah, because even though it's a city, it's the most divided city possible. I mean, I know people. I'll never forget when my friend Tony May moved his restaurant from San Domenico in good times to SD twenty six below twenty, um, 
just above 23rd Street. And he lost a lot of customers who wouldn't go downtown. So, you know, you think about the customers right now, a lot of them are not even in the city. They, they all decamp to their country homes and beach houses. So I heard a friend of mine, I was on um, a, a call with her Wednesday. She went back in the city and she said it was dismal. What advice as a cancer survivor, as a longtime leader in the hospitality industry nationally and mm -hmm. regionally, what advice do you have for the restaurateurs, our friends, who all across the country are facing really similar issues without a similar source, a single source for really reliable answers? What should we be thinking about? What, what should we be doing? I think we need to go back to the core idea of what a restaurant offers. It offers hospitality and a gathering space. People went to restaurants historically as gathering spaces. Maybe they didn't have kitchens. Maybe they just needed to get out. Um, I think Danny Meyer said that on a recent Instagram with Wine Spectator. You know, you got to get back to your core principles. Right. We are here to provide hospitality and a gathering place. And 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 the food may be simpler. The ingredients may need to be more focused and less, you know, out there. Um, but go back to the core. People miss going out to restaurants. I see this all the time in threads. People want to go out again. I miss going out. <laughs> I'm tired of sitting home staring at my husband every night over our same dinner. So I, my message is that people want to go out. They miss it. We all miss our restaurants. They are the fabric of our community. So the restaurants simply like in cancer, you just have to adapt to a new normal and realize there will be new guidelines to stay healthy, not only healthy in the community and for your customers, but healthy for your business. And you will adapt to that because you always do. We are the most resourceful industry. We have gone through so many highs and lows, economic in 9-11, tornadoes, you know, Nashville got whacked before all this, you will come back and the customers will come back because we miss you. Melanie Young, you had an active role in the commencement and growth of the James Beard Awards. And this 2020 class of James Beard nominees is a very unique one. Mm -hmm. We recently had an online nomination announcement around the same time as the Beard Awards would have been taking place. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time any of this happened this way. And it's unprecedented. The thinking and the explanation from the Beard Foundation is that because these people have worked just as hard as every other recipient every other year, they deserve to have their, their moment. Would you talk a little bit about how unique this time is and how in the legacy of the James Beard Foundation and the James Beard Awards, this is a really sort of consistent message? Well, first of all, I think the James Beard Foundation has been doing a really good job really getting out there to provide the best support it can. I mean, the house is closed. They can't do dinners. So they are going all in. We're there for you through grants and resources and messaging. I think 
going ahead with the Jane Fear Foundation announcement, and, and hopefully there will be a ceremony in the fall, is very important for the psychological impact. I mean, we need that reassurance that things are still going to happen, whether it's the James Beard Awards, the Oscars, the IACP Awards, the Emmys. We want, you know, I don't know about the Tonys, but I don't know what's going on, but I think it's so important. And the awards are not about what somebody did in the past year. And this is so important. They're about your body of work. So to not celebrate yeah. an individual or restaurant's body of work one year because we're in a pandemic is not fair. So the James Brew Foundation is doing the right thing by providing nominations and, and the show will go on. It may go on in a weird way this year, but the show will go on. This year's James Beard nominees, uh, the announcement came later than it normally would have, but it but it arrived, and and there are people being recognized uh, for their work. Um, but the foundation deserves a lot of credit. Mitchell Davis, uh, Catherine, the, the entire team, Claire, would you speak to how important, even for non-members of our industry, that resource is? There are tremendous information and other resources available through the James Beard Foundation for every operator and restaurateur, even if you're not a James Beard Foundation member, and they may not know how to get in touch or access those resources, but I'd love to be able to make sure everybody that is hearing this knows that they could reach out to the Beard Foundation and get some kind of, some kind of guidance and help. Well, jamesbeard.org is the website, and I have checked it many times to see what information I could find um, when I was doing my own research for our shows. And they really, you know, um, have put their all in, in, in their key core value, which is supporting and nurturing and honoring America's culinary tradition. And this is the time to help them preserve it. We don't want to lose restaurants. We don't want to lose people. We don't want to lose an industry. And the Jane Fear Foundation really has stepped up hard and fat. They've been doing a good job of um, investing in women. They have that great program with women. They the, the awards are like the icing on the cake. What they're doing besides that is amazing to nurture careers and profession and entrepreneurism. So this is the time now to really say to any restaurant or pastry shop or coffee shop, it doesn't just have to be a restaurant, go to jamesbeard.org. I don't work with them, but go to them. They're doing a great job and there's some great resources. And there are other organizations and opportunities as well, but this one is all encompassing. And what I mean by that is it's not just restaurants. Right. I mean, it's not just restaurants that have been hurt. Other businesses, farmers, suppliers, all the people that sell into the food service chain, wine industry, you, they're all members of the James Beard Foundation, right. and the James Beard Foundation serves all those constituencies. So Melanie, there is more there. Melanie, uh, would you please um, let's let's shift gears a little bit. Um, the Women Chefs and Restaurant Tours is an organization. Mm -hmm. uh, La Dumme d'Escoffier, I know you're very instrumentally yes. involved with International Association of Culinary Professionals. Uh, the social media has been really integral to keeping our industry together in a lot of ways. In all of this time, what are some of the things that you've seen 
that have been really great resources, ideas, inspiration? What have you seen that you can tell us a little anecdotal stories about? What's out there to find? Well, I got to tell you, this has this pandemic has changed how business is being done and how businesses are being promoted, and it is it is a game changer. The virtual events, the virtual community, the virtual happenings are incredible right now. Um, I was, you know, it's like between four and. 8 p.m. Somebody wrote this. Literally, um, Andrew, Amber LeBeau, who has a great blog called spitbucket.net, said that starting at 4 o'clock, her phone starts beeping. And from 4 to 8, she calls it the witching hour because there are so many online tastings. There's online cooking classes. There's talks. There's book talk. You name it. So we're going to have an entire industry um, just virtual. In, in addition to real life. And anyone who has a business now has to have a virtual strategy. Right. You have been very successful in partnering and representing um, the wine industry. Your husband, David Ransom, is one of the premier um, wine and spirits journalists and judges in the country. And he says, hi, he's been still mowing the lawn. <laughs> mowing the lawn, I love that. Thank you, David. Um, <laughs> Give us some tips about how to survive and thrive with wine in this pandemic. We haven't had enough wine experts on to talk about their favorite sips that are quarantine worthy. So do you, are you talking about surviving if you're in the, in the wine business or surviving if you're drinking wine at home? <laughs> Two different things. I know that's really true. I had imagined <laughs> that, well, both. Well, I'm going to start with I'm going to start with one that is important, which is surviving in the wine industry. Because right now, um, retailers are doing great. So everybody else, producers and whatnot, the challenge is doing doing your Instagram live, IGTV, Zoom, your virtual tasting well. Because I was waiting in the parking lot while David was grocery shopping, and I was watching one. I won't say who, but I said, "Oh my God, he needs media training." Yeah. Because too many people are doing these, and they have no idea what they're doing. And to make the conversation interesting, you need to have a theme. You need to be knowing you're talking not only to the person on the screen, but to a big audience out there. Engage them and say, "Hey, guys, don't you love this chef or this wine? What you know? Get people talking. Make it fun. Too many of them are very stiff. And um, so there's a whole opportunity to train people to be better virtually." Um, I actually, I'll be honest with you. I actually have not been attended a lot of them because I'm too busy doing what I do. You know, you have a show, I have a show. I'm too busy writing, producing a show. Now, David and I drink all the time. We are drinking um, from our cellar because life is short. So yep. we're drinking from our cellar. And so we've been pulling out all the wines and just been sitting there. And, and some of them have been really good. Some we've had to throw down the drain, but, um, you know, we've been drinking whatever we want. And my message to anyone listening is this is the time to pull out those special wines and really enjoy them. And Don't I'm wait. Sure John Brecher and Dorothy Gator from the Wall Street Journal's Guide to Wine would be the first ones during this pandemic to say that very thing. Absolutely. I mean, a, you know, a pandemic is a great time to say, hey, life is short. Let's yeah. let's drink good wine. And by the way, my, of course, my theory is always life is short. Always drink great wine. But that's because um, we had you know? and survived it, thankfully. I mean, you learn yeah. surviving something like that. A, you become a person of enormous gratitude. And B, 
you realize that you only have this moment in time, this present moment of today. And that it goes to food too. Like, you know, I, we eat very healthy. We try, we drink our wine. You only want to put good stuff in your body, whether it's eat or drink. Right. So my message to anyone, you know, listening and watching this show is, is, you know, enjoy this time at home. You know, we, we are forced to be at home to so make the best of it. Get out there and start cooking. Have fun with your food. Drink really good wine and savor it. You're not running around going here, there, and everywhere. You're Thank actually you probably life. saving money. You're probably saving money eating at home. Get out a cookbook or watch one of these 9 million free cooking classes that all the chefs are doing and have some fun with it. We are. Before I let you go, in your um, life as the um, founder and president of M. Young Communications, one of the <laughs> leading public relations firms in the space, of food and beverage for a number of, of years. 20. Um, you were pioneering and, and bringing an entire tent of wines from Spain to the Food and Wine Classic at Aspen. You've done some really ginormous projects, but you also did a lot of media training. Yes. And I'm going to still do media training. And you still do. Yeah. And so, literally, when we think of media training, it might be you're going on the Today Show, make sure you're good. That's changed. Almost everything we do now has a certain media thoughtfulness about it. Would you, I'm going to impose on you, can you give us one or two really useful tips in the, in the realm of media training that all of us can benefit from as we go forward in our online and virtual lives, in our Zoom meetings, in our- Sure. And, and a lot, you know, I learned- a lot also when I went on tour for my book, I made a few okay. mistakes at the beginning. Not my beloved co-host and the, the, the mocker at, at Food and Beverage Magazine, Michael Pulitz needs this because he virtually invented media to be media trained in. But I was yeah. trained by the best, Jennifer. We well, know that. I know. I'm going to tell you the number one thing, whether you're hosting a show, you're a guest on a show, you're telling people, is really know the show and know the people. Do your homework. Do your homework and, and find, I always try, and I know you do too, I always try to find that little personal tidbit about that show or that guest or that person to bring into the conversation and think about who's listening because who you may be talking to on the show may not be who is out there in the audience. And a perfect example is we may be talking to, like you do, top a wine in industry executive. We happened. This happened recently with the Rhone Valley. We had somebody calling in Frederick Chaudier from France, from Chateau Pesquier, and we learned to change the conversation. And we've done this through the pandemic. Our audience likes to be transported. They started. We started getting chat room comments like, "We just want to travel again." And we realized that people listening just, they're not experts. They just want to travel again. They want to learn the most basic things. So our conversations have changed during the pandemic. And like we had on a guy, Gaz um, Oakley yesterday, a, a plants only kitchen. And it was just on how to start cooking vegan and what are meat alternatives if you if you like meat, but you want that umami. And that is a big change in our conversation with our current show right now. But that show was inspiring, if you if you want my opinion. Well, we try to inspire. I mean, you know, I think, and, and this is for anyone who's going on as a guest. Think about those three things that you want to inspire 
people to say, wow, that was something. I learned something. I felt something. I'm inspired to do something. If you can get someone to learn, do, think, and, and feel emotional by hearing a guest on any topic. I mean, it could be chapstick and why it's important, how you can put it under your eyes. I bet you didn't know that. And besides, you're here. And you can put it on your hands, which are like, you know, crazy from sanitizer. The key is find those ahas and share them. And that should be an interview you do as a guest. Melanie, um, when it comes to media training in terms of some of the technical aspects, mm -hmm. uh, look at how uh, your camera is positioned absolutely perfectly in front of you and the lighting is great and the background is great. How do people, you know, discover that maybe they could improve some of these aspects a little bit. What are one or two things that everybody should be, should be our starting point? Oh my God. This was a conversation on the way home. Practice before you go on air, really understand what you look like in the video. How many times have you interviewed a ghost? You know, make sure the camera, make sure the camera is facing the right way. So you don't have all that backlight check your, you know, use the best settings possible. You know, it, with Zoom, they have high definition settings. You can change the lighting. You know, think about what's behind you. Make sure it's like, you know, not a naked person or clutter or something. Or, it is, or Melanie, or, or it is a naked person. Yeah, or it could be a naked job. person. Right. Think about the color you're wearing. You know, like when, when, Jen, when Jennifer called and said, can you be on the show? I was like, you know, not wearing this. I was wearing something else. But think about your neckline. Think about the light. But most importantly, a lot of people do this. I literally did a LaDonna Scafe call with Betty Fussell. Really a treat. But she was like this the whole time. I saw the top of her head the whole time. <laughs> so you um, want to think about where, you, where you're looking. And, and then like my, um, you're going to laugh. My laptop was actually on a KitchenAid five-quart stainless steel box with the KitchenAid in it. Oh, well, that's that's my prop to elevate my laptop. <laughs> and so even that's a tip. Elevate your laptop so yeah. that you're really getting optimal... Yeah, because if it look if everybody's looking down and I this person I watched on Instagram Live, very famous person in the wine industry, he, he all I saw was the frownies because he was looking down. Like you see a lot of people going like this, because I guess they're looking somewhere down here. And look what it does to your face. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Like you gotta look up. This that's like everybody I know in the industry said, look up. In fact, some people go like this. That's a little too high. But you know, get that camera angle right and the light right so that you don't look like you're a ghost or you're frowning yeah jennifer i told you stop frowning <laughs> turn that frown and upside then, and down. i don't want to see the top of your head i want to see your whole thing listen we now live in a society where you don't see half of people's faces anymore i had seven people come by our house this weekend to look at it and i don't know what any of them look like i went in to get my computer fixed today and i was wearing a mask sunglasses and a hat because I'm on antibiotics. And I said, hi, I bet you don't recognize me. <laughs> you know, my husband barely recognizes me now. I don't recognize my husband at the grocery store. Everybody's wearing a mask and they all look the same. They're all wearing add, add the Holly go lightly glasses and you're a goner. <laughs> well, that's what I had today when I went. I had a big hat, I had glasses, I had a mask. There was nothing you could, there was no Melanie left. Before we let you go, I know that we love Rita Jamey and her love Caravelle her. champagne. Champagne is one of those things that she's pairing in New York with steak. I still have said this before and I'll say it again. 
Champagne pairs magnificently with cheeseburgers and French fries, especially when they're yummy and well cooked. And popcorn. We've been drinking it with popcorn. And, Sparkling and wine popcorn. and popcorn. Um, yeah. It goes with everything. Um, what are some wine trends that you're getting the news about for the spring and early summer season that you can share with us? Oh gosh, that's a whole nother show, but here we go. Low alcohol, people love low alcohol. Um, Rosé will continue. I'm really into interesting whites, like beyond Chardonnay, like Vermentino, the V's, and some of the interesting whites out of Italy. And um, I'm into Semillon, some of the non-Chardonnay Sauvignon Blanc, Pinot Grigio. Or an um, Arnaise. Yeah, Arnaise, yes, yes. You know, I think we need to step out. And Rosé's been there and we love it, but some of these interesting white wines are so awesome. I mean, we were just in the Rhone before the lockdown. We had the best, best white wines in the Rhone. Really what great, you, great food friendly. What are you hearing about CBD and hemp-related beverages? I get pitched all the time. I also get pitched on hard seltzer. And I know that seltzer is like the end thing and that claw thing is really popular. It's not for me. Although I I do spike my um, sparkling water with, with wine that we don't love. We'll probably put it in there because that's what you do with it. You spritz it. Um, I am totally personally not into CBD products. I get them pitched for every which way from head to toe. They're going to improve my life. I don't think they're going to improve my life. And what they are doing is affecting, you know, cannabis is cannibalizing the wine industry. Did I just see David back there? Did we just, did you see that, Jennifer? The handsome David Ransom? Yes, I did. I saw David sneaking through the screen. My right eyes there. are peeled for his presence. Is, well, you know, our kitchen, you may, I didn't, I, I hear something, but I don't know if there was, if it's David. Yes. David. In the kitchen. David. Hi, David. David he's, is one of the journalists for the Tasting Panel magazine, among other things. And is he's wild. doing a Greta Garbo right now. His Did you hair. just mention Tasting Panel, Jennifer? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're all dealing with hair issues right now. We're all dealing with hair issues right now. David that, colored mine for me, by the way. It was a very intimate experience. He my did hairdresser, a great job. my hairdresser came down the drive. He threw my color at me, and one morning I said, "This is it. This is our bonding moment." I love that. <laughs> Before we let you go, talk a little bit about the t uh, Connected Table Radio Show. The Connected Table Live. Hi, oh, there he is. Hi. I love that man. Look at look at the I blonde. He, he used some of my stuff. <laughs> As I live and breathe, it's my it's my my favorite co-host. <laughs> well, after Melanie. Yeah. So the Connected Table Live airs Wednesdays, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We interview global thought leaders in food, wine, spirits, and hospitality. We really focus on sharing their story. It's not about promoting a brand, it's about sharing their story. So we just had on um, this week's show was Tom Kennefick. Dr. Tom, he's like in his 80s, neurosurgeon who bought Kennefick Ranch 40 years ago and turned it into a great Cab Franc, really great Bordeaux blend wines. And his son, Chris and Caitlin Rons, it was a family affair. And then we had from Wales, our first our first guest from Wales, it's kind of fun, Gaz Oakley, who was um, Plants Only Kitchen. So we, we have guests from all around the world. And we love that because we like to travel and we can't wait to get back on the road. And, and then the connected table are smaller. Jennifer, she's always yeah. on the road. I get emails. Michael, I can't talk to you for three and a half weeks because I'm going to be traveling. But when I get back, I'm going to look at my calendar. She won't even schedule. She has to get back and look at her calendar to see if she's back on the road again before we could talk. So David just opened a Gewurz for me. Whose is it? From Israel. From Israel. So we're drinking. What do we have? Yeah. So that's kind of it. It's good. It's not. It's very nice. It's not chilled enough yet, but it's good. 
So, and the connected table sips are shorter. So the connected table live is a 50 minute show. Wednesday's live, and then it's podcast, iHeart, Spotify, Pandora, et cetera. You can hear it anytime. And the connected table sips are shorter. So they're under 12 minutes. They're great when you're jogging. And those are a little more branded and focused. Before we let you go, can mm-hmm. you tell us one story from uh, recent history? where Because... What Michael and I love about doing these shows and what I know you love doing these shows, bring us together with old friends. And when you're together with old friends, oftentimes you'll remember the good times and the saucy times and where you were. And do you remember when? And it's invariably. And when we talk about you never know who's going to show up on this show and you never know what's going to come out of their mouth. When I think of you and and I know so many people recognize that you were proposed to on the stage of the James Beard Awards. Yeah. And I know that since David's here with us now, we can probably, can we tell that story? Cause it's such a charming romantic story. And I think it's a great well, good story to end the show with. It's like a Johnny cash moment. Of course, David went that way cause he's hungry and wants to cook dinner, but it was the James Beard Awards 2006. And it was the theme honoring New Orleans after Katrina. And I used to live in New Orleans. We poured our heart and soul into it. And I will never forget this. Just before we were the last three awards, Corby Cummer came out and said, we have a special addition to the show. It's on YouTube. Uh, And they brought me out on stage. And I thought it was to honor me because it was also my last James Beard Awards. And And they just honored me. What was your role at that year's James Beard Awards? Well, my role was always from the beginning. I helped start the awards. I was one of three people in the room, actually, and then it grew to five, who sat and mapped out what the awards were going to be. Because I had been working with Cook's Magazine who had started the Who's Who of Cooking in America and had produced their awards, which became the James Beard Awards. I brought that program to the foundation and it got rolled in with, and the late Peter comes said, let's create awards program. And so I was in the, I was in the room where it happened, as they say, from the beginning. And then I took on the role of awards director to produce the awards, raise the money, just about do everything. And that was 16 years. So this awards was my last awards it was a tribute to my favorite city and Corby brings me out. And I thought he was just to say, thank you. And then David came out in a white tuxedo with 24 roses. They're over there. Well, they're hanging up. They're still there. And he made a beautiful speech. And the backstory is in the speech. He said in the words of Johnny Apple, the late New York Times, you are my Betsy. And why that was, and I melted. And then he said, will you marry me? And why I melted was that I always told David, because I loved Johnny. I loved him as a person. And I said, I want to marry a man who loves his wife as much as Johnny Apple loves Betsy Apple, because he always wrote her into his articles. And when they were together, and we had dinner with them when they come to New York because he was on the Restaurant Awards Committee. He glowed. You know, he could be cantankerous. But when he was with Betsy, he melted. She had a power over him. And it was she was a Southern woman from, you know, strong Southern woman with the big hair. So when he said, in the words of Johnny Apple, you are my Betsy, I lost it. Now, what he told me later is he actually wrote Johnny 
because he said uh, he knew how much I loved him and, and he was afraid to write the proposal. And he asked Johnny to help him write it. <laughs> and Johnny was supposed to be on stage to introduce me, but he had throat cancer and had canceled at the last minute, had gone home. And David called me as I'm getting my makeup. He said, I got to find somebody else to replace Johnny for the ceremony. And I said, well, why do you care? You're you're downstairs. You're the beverage director. You're supposed to be downstairs. And I didn't know that all this was happening. And David had worked it out with the, you know, the technical producers and everything to stop the show for this proposal. That's Beautiful. awesome. It was awesome. And it, and he thought of it himself. And it was just a testament to how amazing my husband, David Ransom, is to do this and to think that he would reach out to Johnny and say, Johnny, I want you to help me write this proposal and to say those words because he listened and knew that was our little secret special message. It was incredible. Well, I love that you have quarantine together and yeah. that you share this show together, that you've shared a little bit of yourselves with us today. But more importantly, that you are so incredibly generous with our industry and you've been such a pioneering and pivotal figure uh, for us for such a long time. Uh, in addition to being a leader, you are my dear friend and I'm grateful to you coming to visit with us today. Well, Jennifer, Thank I'll always you. have your back. I will always have your back. And I do what I, I everything I do is mission driven. That's how I was raised. Yeah. I'll never make a lot of money, but I'll always make a big difference. And that's really important. You know, I remember now you are from Tennessee. Yep. And in the last two weeks, we have had more people come on this show to talk about their chicken sandwich or their yeah. spicy. What the heck did you all do with the chicken sandwich that now it is like the biggest thing in the restaurant business and it's the biggest thing in food. It's the biggest thing in the country. What is so special about your Tennessee chicken sandwich? I really don't know because I'm not a big fan because I, you know, I miss health and wellness. It's it's hot. It's it's basically hot chicken. It's fried chicken that's hot. You can do it anywhere, but they've mastered it. And 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 um, Hattie's and the other one everybody goes to. It's like you know, God, this is like the best chicken. It's not where I go when I go to Nashville because it's Nashville hot chicken. I like the meat and threes. That's my favorite thing about Tennessee. But but everybody loves this chicken because everybody likes fried chicken. Who doesn't like fried chicken? Well, me, but everybody else. <laughs> Listen, one of my favorite combinations of all time is fried chicken and champagne. It's what I served on my big birthday. Yeah. Michael, well, I, I like David's roast her. chicken. David makes the best roast chicken in the world. So that's my favorite chicken. Where can people follow you online? You can go to Instagram, The Connected Table, Twitter, Connected Table, theconnectedtable.com, and you can find our shows on iHeart, Spotify, iTunes, you name it, Connected Table. The Connected and are Table you Live. doing any media training for foodies? Yes, I do it when I, um, when I, you know, if somebody hires me. I mean, it's not I'm out there like selling myself right now, but I have done it for several, and we do it a lot when we do our SIPS programs. We do some um, sponsored content, and part of it involves. 90% of it involves training people to do an interview correctly. But um, it's something that I've done for years and I'm getting back into it because uh, a lot of people need it. 
Does Jennifer need it or does Jennifer need it or is she Jennifer, gonna, what she did? Jennifer's perfect. Jennifer Ooh. taught me how to do radio. You know, it was because of Jennifer, we got into radio. David was oh, yeah, that's right. as a guest host. And then I was there one day when you were on vacation. And then when they were like, oh, this is kind of fun. And what are we doing with the rest of our lives anyway? Because I'd closed M Young Communications. I'd created the Connected Table. We weren't really sure what we were doing with it. We just had a company and a couple of events. And then we realized this was kind of fun. And we were having a good time. And we like sharing stories. And you're so good at it. You were a nominee this year for the IACP Best Radio. I couldn't believe it. It was the only it was the only award show I entered in the only category because you know we, we were like you had to pay all these fees, and I was like, oh my god, my friend Bonnie. I didn't go into the city for the ceremony. I was like, why go? And my friend Bonnie was like, you just got nominated for an IACP award. I'm like, <laughs> you're kidding. And and we and the other nominees are like Chris Kimball at Milk Street who hired me to do the. Who's who of cooking in America? He was like one of my mentors. And the other one was um, somebody from NPR. Like this, I don't know, somebody at NPR. We're perma nominees because I don't know when the ceremony is. So we're just perma nominees. <laughs> well, I love that. Melanie, I'm happy with that. <laughs> I love you. Thank you. Love you too. Thank well. you, Melanie. And we'll Michael, thank you. It was great to see you. I love yes. getting your weekly newsletters. I love getting any email you ever sent me. Ever. I always well, love Well, we're just Melanie having a, a love fest. So well, we knew that would come. Yes. Well, have me back anytime. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank David, too. I will. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. Wow. What a nice lady, huh? She's What she has done for this business can't be measured. No, she's awesome. She's always been supportive of everything that Food and Beverage Magazine has done. And I know they have relationships with Meredith at the Tasting Island. Yeah. You know, but she's always an ear for me, right? And yeah, I don't know what ever happened to them. They were too fancy we for me. And here we are, Jennifer English, Michael Politz, Food and Beverage Magazine Live. That was just an intense show. Yeah, it was, we got a lot of really good information for a lot of really good people. Yeah, it was powerful. How's tomorrow's show looking? Even better. Oh, my goodness. Really? But I'm going to say this, busy. Michael, to everybody out there. Sip the good stuff. Cook something for your family. Eat something you really like. We have today. That's all we're guaranteed. Mm. And more than anything else, remember that conviviality starts at home. So hug your kids, count your blessings, make something delicious, eat something wonderful, sip the good stuff, and be grateful. Tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow.